these people that I was networking with in Adelaide, I'd met through MLM. Yeah. Uh, and these people were, um, a lot of them were business owners, entrepreneurs, self-employed, or investors, uh, and they were doing some you know, amazing stuff at the time. I mean, you know, some of these people were renovating and flipping. Um, one couple owned over a hundred properties. Um, they would wow. travel together regional with a team. They'd buy a cheapie and they'd go in, they'd fix it up. Yeah. Uh, and then they put a tenant in place. Um, so yeah, these these guys were, you know, always always had something cooking. Yeah. So they actually networked me into a, a bit of a one-stop shop. You're listening to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard. Here's your host, Hayley Beavis. Hello and welcome to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard. My name is Hayley Beavis and I'm a property consultant here at Positive Real Estate where we help people build wealth through property. Today, I am joined by Kevin Radloff. Kevin is an Adelaide local who has lived a colourful life along his investment journey, with many ups and downs, meeting cowboys in the industry and coming out on top with a fantastic attitude. Kevin's life motto has been, bite off more than you can chew and chew like hell. And he has certainly done just that. Kevin talks us through the importance of getting out of your comfort zone, finding like-minded people, surrounding yourself with a good team and how things in your past can hold you back from achieving your goals. This is a conversation not to be missed. Enjoy this conversation with Kevin. So today I have Kevin joining me. He uh, joined PRE back in 2012 and he's an Adelaide local. Now I understand you have plenty of interesting stories um, over the years that you're, you know, you've shared a bit with me, but it will be fantastic for you to share that with others. So thank you for joining me on Property Investor Tales, Kevin. Thank you, Hayley. Thanks for the invite. No problem. So first of all, it's always good for you to, you know, share your story and tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, what do you do with yourself? What's your background? Um, so I'm a sales manager of um, Jump Property. So it's a small boutique that um, we co-own together. So myself, my partner, Christine, and our business partners, Mary and Lou. Um, so we all work in that uh, together. Although, um, um, Mary does have a couple other businesses that she's probably more a part of. Um, and we have a few employees. So very much uh, focused originally in 2014 on property management services. Yep. Um, I was still working um, at another uh, smaller boutique um, agency where I was PA and a sales partner to the principal of that company. So yeah, um, we have a, a property management and sales business. Beautiful, beautiful. And what about your early days? You know, I think you you grew up on, in the country. Is that right? Yeah, we um, are very much country kids. Uh, myself yep. and uh, and my two brothers. So, um, born and bred in Karunda, which was a um, which is a little town an hour and a half east of Adelaide. Um, so it's on the road between Adelaide and Loxton. For for those people familiar with that. A um, bit of a stop off halfway point uh, for people to stretch your legs, yep. go to the loo and grab one of the, you know, one of the local baked pasties and then a uh, coffee and maybe, yeah, uh, continue the journey. So, yeah. Can you recommend a bakery? 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've been left there now uh, yeah. since 2007, but there was yeah. a, um, uh, a entrepreneurial local bloke, he's passed now, but he um, diversified from um, owning and running a garage into, um, he started a bakery at the back, <laughs> in the back of his garage. So sometimes uh, they're always the best ones, right? The yeah, weird and yeah. The, the dodgy ones. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, he was very well known. Yeah, yeah. And so from there, you, you know, you're working on the farm early years. Um, where have you been since then? Well, I left, I left school at 15, finished year 10. And I can't recall, that would have been early, been early 80s. Um, so went home on the farm to become a farm boy. Um, we ran into a series of droughts, I think, in those early years as well. So um, you know, crop failure, um, not enough rain, a lot of wind, paddocks were drifting, so the topsoil was blowing and blowing. And um, so we actually, I think the, back in the day, the government launched this scheme, which was basically work for the doll, which allowed all the farmers' sons and farm employees to continue to labour on the farm. Wow. and received the dole payments because it was actually, yeah, there was nothing in farming at that point. So it was actually quite hard. Um, and I think, look, my parents encouraged me, look, if you, if, you know, if you can pick up a, a job, local job, go for it. Um, so I was doing some casual work. Um, had also done a lot of um, casual work in um, shed handing and roustabouting, which... Yeah. Um, yeah, shearing sheep and you know doing all that sort of stuff, wool picking and travelling and doing that around the uh, district and also you know further afield, um, southeast of South Australia. We did a few trips down there and did a um, a few sheds with a local shearing crew. So they're all farmers, and to supplement the income, they basically went off shearing sheep. Um, so they did a lot of casual work. Uh, picked up a casual job at local council during those drought times. And we were, I was employed as a surveyor's assistant. Yeah. Um, so running around surveying um, new road, putting new roads in and um, upgrading dirt roads into, um, you know, bitumen roads. So that sort of uh, initially walks casual turned into um, a one year contract and a two year contract. And we moved from surveying um, of uh, district roads into the town and we started to survey um, town streets and town roads and we upgraded the stormwater system. So, um, yeah, a lot of guttering of water table work and uh, resealing streets. Um, and then council actually advertised a job um, for a multi-skilled employee and they, they, they strongly hinted and suggested that I should apply. So I guess... Um, the job was already yours by the sounds of it. <laughs> Basically, they went through the, the channels of advertising it to yeah. just um, tick off a few boxes. Yeah. So picked up that job and spent 22 or 23 years working with council and um, yeah. basically was the, um, yeah, my words, jack of all trades, master of none. So yeah. you get to, you know, do a lot of different things. So whether it's um, irrigation work, trenching, driving earth moving equipment, curating all the ovals, um, basically the mowing and the fertilising and just sort of turf management and turf care. So 
yeah, a lot of, you know, driving the garbage truck. So it was, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, managing the cemetery, which meant you met these, love, met these lovely people at the old age homes and then um, down the track you were burying them. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we managed the, the burials and um, yeah. uh, the cemetery and then the more memorial wall where we, you know, we interned people in the, um, you yeah. They put the ashes in the wall and put a plaque on top of it and yeah so that was all yeah my responsibility basically yeah um, right and was this in Adelaide itself no that was in Corinda so there was okay. never never a dull moment it's a different different job different day yeah never did the same thing twice so yeah. that was that suited me fine I actually um get a bit bored I think of I'm doing the same thing over and over repetitively yeah yeah so how long have you been in Adelaide for? Um, moved to Adelaide in 2007. Um, yeah. I basically did, I ran out of excuses. <laughs> so um, my daughter finished. I did a stint as a, um, well, a single dad there for a while. Um, so I raised my daughter um, from about, I can't remember the timing now, but anyway. So we were... Uh, we were basically a sole parent family, and when once she finished year twelve in Corinda, then um, she launched into a double degree at Adelaide University. So, yeah, I'd always sort of dropped hints with uh, with my employers that I'd, um, you know, needed a new pay grade and a new classification, and um, I was sort of looking to sort of expand and 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 do do more anyway. Yeah. Um, so they said, oh, well, you can always take their skills elsewhere if you feel that way. Yeah. So I did. I basically resigned and moved to Adelaide. I, you know, it took me probably 18 months to um, find myself a role. Yeah. Um, myself into a role, then we made, the, we made the move. So whilst the plan was that we would maybe um, find a house and rent somewhere, uh, the realization was that, hey, house prices in Adelaide, even back then, were probably um, beyond what I could manage and afford after selling up. And we yeah. um, sold the sold my house in Corinda. We'd rent it. Well, I'd renovated that extensively, so we, yeah, we had that for over twenty three or twenty odd years. Yeah. And um, yeah, sold that sold that will at the time relatively speaking yeah yeah beautiful and um in terms of your experience with property you know prior to joining positive real estate or even investing tell me a little bit about your experience back then um look i was fairly gregarious by nature and i realized that networking was key so when i yeah. hit adelaide i'd already network network myself into a job into a company it was programmed um Program maintenance services we were called then. Um, they were called then, and then there was a um, change of company name to Program Property Services. But uh, as part of networking, um, I got that job through networking myself with one of the guys that uh, was a manager there. Um, so I started hanging out with people. Um, I don't know how I'd actually first met them. Um, Actually, I, that's how it was. Um, I'd got involved in a multi-level marketing company 
whilst I was still living in Corinda. So okay. these people that I was networking with in Adelaide, I'd met through MLM. Yeah. Uh, and these people were, um, a lot of them were business owners, entrepreneurs, self-employed or investors. Uh, and they were doing some you know, amazing stuff at the time. I mean, you know, some of these people were renovating and flipping. Um, one couple owned over a hundred properties. Um, they would wow. travel together regional with a team and they'd buy a, a cheapie and they'd go and they'd fix it up. Yeah. And then they put a tenant in place. Um, so yeah, these, these guys were, you know, always, always had something cooking. Yeah. So they actually networked me into a, a bit of a one-stop shop um, property investment company here in Adelaide run by um, a couple of brothers and they'd come out of the building industry um, and they'd set up this company where they were sourcing property um, that also um, had their own internal brokers and they were doing project management and um, basically bringing deals together where they're finding um, sometimes distressed developers or distressed sellers and putting house and land packages together and maybe sort of packaging up the land with a, um, a local builder. Yep. So I did a couple of deals through those guys. Um, they were probably fairly, um, oh. <laughs> Looking for the right words. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, you could attend them cowboys, but they're having a okay. go. Yeah. Um, so we did a couple of house and land packages with those with those guys. Yeah. Um, they had a whole coaching and mentoring thing sort of set up in the in the uh, the monthly meetings and all that sort of stuff, and they had guest speakers. And look, that was all that was all good. I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, probably also got misled a little bit because there was a blanket statement made quite often that property doubles in value every seven ten years. Ooh. So it's like, well. And the, where were you buying? Where were you buying these house and land packages? Well, I did one in Bendigo or yeah. um, suburb of Bendigo, which was California Gully. So it was a lot of um, uh, land release or the. Um, Regional. Yeah. yeah, as an estate. That one, not so bad. That one worked. I bought one in um, at House and Land in Awala Jenkins, which was. Um, inside an estate called Air Estate. Yeah. Uh, that one was with a journey. I've still got it and I should have sold it. Um, yeah. I'm trying to get out of that without paying the bank to get out of it. So I'm trying to weigh up whether the time is right to get out of that one. And how long ago did you purchase that one? That would have been possibly, I think, 2008. It was shortly after... I landed in Adelaide and, yeah, just um, with the proceeds of sale of my Karunda house, I put that into a couple of investment properties. Um, yeah. I basically um, landed in Adelaide and um, scrounged a room off my brother at his house and I basically boarded with him for a few years and I yeah. basically put the proceeds of my house to work in a couple of investment properties. So. Yeah. The Bendigo H&L, that went well um, in the respect of that I held it for seven years and I sold it and I made $100,000 yeah. on top of that for seven years. 
had I kept that one, I, I sold the wrong one. I probably should have kept the Bendigo property. Yeah. It's probably worth a lot more now. Yeah. I probably should have exited the Wayla Jenkins property uh, in the early days and maybe covered my um, investment. But the longer I held it, uh, the more marginal and the, yeah, the more, I don't know, the more marginal that market became. Yeah. Okay. We had one steel terminate a lot of staff. It's, you know, um, Whale has been a town that's, you know, um, struggled through, you know, if um, if resources and commodities prices fell and dropped, well then, you know, Whaler being a, a mining town or a steel milling town was very, very much tied with those, you know, with the fortunes of mining, I suppose. Yeah, that becomes the challenge of mining towns, doesn't it? It's... um definitely a bit more uh fluid you could say yeah up and down. <laughs> volatile <laughs> yeah 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 uh, yeah and and what about um you know i know that you've you're involved in a, a ponzi scheme at one point in time as well during your early days of the investing journey oh yeah thanks to my network um yeah. <laughs> you know lovely early network yeah um you can say just about them. They never, they never shied away from opportunity. Yep. So, and if they saw an opportunity, they would tell everyone about it. Everyone about it. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, in hindsight, looking back, I mean, the thing is, we've always heard that thing. If it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think my network, and I think my, myself included. We were pretty gung ho there one stage. It was like nothing yeah. could go wrong. You know, we were just invincible. You know, invincible, and you, you know, saw these returns on paper profit, yeah. mind you. So everything looked great on paper. But this company was offering a twenty-five percent return on your money every quarter. Wow! Uh, so very seductive. So you know, the, the the zeros were running around in my head. I was actually making plans for the money I'd made on paper before I even had made it. So yep. what I wasn't going to do is going to pay off the investment properties and buy some more. And, you know, it was going to be basically um, the vehicle. Bank set match. You were done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Generate, uh, generate deposits for more properties using the, yep. the money in this, what was parallel importing. Um, the weird thing is that company started as a legitimate company. Yeah. just didn't end up that way. Um, so the guy was shipping products throughout Southeast Asia and landing them back into Australia to be sold throughout the Cunningham's warehouse and the cheapest chip sort of chain of, of shops. They were rebranded, repackaged products, just cover labelled with English uh, over various um, you know Asian languages because they were you know, the Colgate, Palmolive yeah. products and they were just you know, manufactured over there, but brought into Australia and sold cheaply in the $2 shops. Yeah. So look, that went well for a while. I had the good sense somehow. I don't know where, I don't know. I, I must have been some sort of instinct that I needed to take profit and not, not invest, not, yeah, not lose my shirt. So put some money in. Yeah. Not get too cocky. And when the returns came, take some returns. 
Yeah. So take some gains and reinvest. So I don't know. It's like I played it, I guess, where in in other other people weren't so lucky. We heard stories where, you know, back in that stage as people lost their, you know, $1.2 million Sydney home or, Ooh. you know, when it all went belly up, um, yeah. and when it came crashing down, um, I don't think I mentioned too many names about who started the Ponzi scheme. I might just leave that alone. But suffice to say, it was it was an $80 million Ponzi scheme. $80 million went missing of investors from around Australia. Wow. Um, he was um, in the music industry. He was a lead guitarist and backing vocalist for some of the world's biggest acts. And... Um, he moved to Australia. Living the life of luxury, obviously. Living the life of luxury <laughs> um, in, a, in a mansion in Serpentine, which was uh, in uh, in Perth. Yeah. And he would fly across Australia and wine and dine people and basically, um, you know, being a very charismatic front man to this of business. Of course, yeah. Um, the Australian Federal Police got involved once people started complaining that, you know, where is our money? Where is our return? Um, we'd had a lot of excuses given to us because it's all, you know, based on shipping. Oh, we can't, we can't dock the boat. You know, the 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 port's frozen over, or we um, the weather's too bad. We can't yeah. bring the boat into port. We can't offload the products. We can't, we can't um, ship the products to the suppliers. Um, what we didn't know at that stage is that people were throwing that much money at this guy to invest in his business. That he actually sat back and thought, well, why am I bothering to buy and ship product? Why not just take the money and when somebody asks their money, just you know, the last investor in was paying out the yeah, right. last investor exiting. So he basically was recycling the money and had actually stopped doing the various business activities that um, we required. The, act, the turnover. The to, turnover yeah, to keep the company wow. afloat. So yeah, the Australian Federal Police got involved. The media got involved. We left. We had um, receivers, receivers managing investors' meetings. We would exit those meetings to, um, you know, the media on the footpath with their news cameras and wanting to report on this massive scheme. So Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. it? It's so crazy that it can get so big before it you know, comes crashing down as well. It's um, very, very interesting, all of that. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. And coming back to property, um, you know, what's been your best deal along the journey? Actually, let's go to the weirdest because you've got a, a pretty funny story or a weird story around, you know, a property that you purchased. So tell us about the weirdest story along your property journey. Well, I guess the lead up to that was, After that first um, property investment company sort of uh, folded and, and, and went bust and went bankrupt, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was I was chasing a lot of um, uh, boot camps and mentoring, so I got involved in various you know, yeah. education. I did um, I did a few courses with, with Landmark, which was the uh, NLP sort of high cutting edge sort of. Sort of you know, Navy SEALs and a lot of um, 
you know, IBM and um, you know, Apple, a lot of you know, a lot of their executives did their um, did their workshops and seminars, and it was yeah. all about sort of you know thinking and being able to you know peak performance. Anyway, doing some of their um, mentoring and courses, and so I did a lot of courses and. Um, after that other property investment business shut down, my network and I, we actually formed a little networking group that we had our own little networking group where we would just um, look to um, joint venture and collaborate with each other and um, share deals that we'd found that we might actually set something up joint venture. Nothing ever came of it. I don't think... Um, I don't know, I think the level of trust wasn't quite there or yeah. um, I think some people in the in the group deem themselves experts and uh, would actually deem the deal that we looked at as non-viable or didn't stack up. Um, I actually put that, this deal that I'm mentioning to you now, I actually put that deal in front of them and said, look, I found something that's very interesting. And I was told that, uh, no, it didn't stack up. The numbers didn't stack. But I, was, I wasn't convinced. I thought it was... You know, how could you go wrong when you find a thousand and twenty square meters with two titles on the, uh, two a lot? Sorry, two a lot with some one title. Yeah. Situated on a corner. I mean, um, you know, if you could find those every day of the week, you'd buy them every day of the week. Yeah. So anyway, how did I find that site? I'd gone off and done. Uh, this is a name from the past. I'd done a Carly Crutchfield boot camp. That she fell from grace as well um yeah way back when yeah so not many of them make it do they it's interesting (laughs) (laughs) so carly ran this three or four day boot camp in brisbane and you know uh, you know um they say you can have knowledge on ice or ignorance on fire a lot of people say it's better to have ignorance on fire um you know i don't know if that's the right terminology anyway i came home and i was just fired up with like all these, you know, find these deals that, yep. you know, can you can you do a joint venture or can you do an option or, you know, I picked up the paper one day and I was waiting for my daughter to do a um, an amateur photo shoot, a modelling shoot. So I was reading the paper and found this line ad in the commercial section for this property in Woodville South. Um, and it was 1,020 square metres. I think they may have mentioned the corner position. Um, so I thought, wow, just back from a boot camp and I find this property. All fired up, ready no to go. photos. <laughs> so I thought, wow, this yep. looks like it's got to be a winner, right? So, <laughs> Minimal detail winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like location, corner, size. So let's go have a look at it. So I rang the agent and we, we get out there and have a look at it. Yeah. Um, it was a little strange that there were no photos provided. So um, it, and I didn't work it out at the time. It, took, it was always in hindsight. This, um, it was in hindsight that these things became um, more transparent. But so I went and viewed it. It was an old mid, mid-century 1950s home. Very sort of, reminiscent of a lot of the American Californian sort of yeah. you know flat roof rendered brick um, would have been very modern and cool back in the day in ground pool um, 
two, you know, I think it was four, yeah, four bedrooms, two bathrooms, two living areas. It was a rambling place. Um, lots of on, uh, on-site car parking and garaging. Anyway, it was, it was a absolute cracker of a site on a corner, um, not far from the uh, Queen Elizabeth Hospital. So the creative juices started flowing. Um, <laughs> well, we just we just have to get this. Now I've just done these two house and land packages, so they, they haven't even um, finished building yet. Yeah. So I'm quickly run out of funds, quickly run out of serviceability and, and borrowing capacity. So I think I talked my brother into it over over a very late night, a couple of pizzas, and we we we'd bought a bottle of scotch and we're sitting down drinking scotch and cokes running into numbers and running into scenarios and, you know, munching on this pizza and thinking, how can we purchase this deal? It was an EOI, no price. So we were crunching numbers on what, we had the good sense. I, I don't know how I got it, but I started looking at what had sold in the suburb and what was likely to be knocked over and what was the square meter rate? So basically what was land value? Yeah. And what was the value of something that could be used as a rental property for a while? Um, so what, what should we offer? Um, I'd caught sight of the old guy during an inspection. I thought, well, maybe he's selling up because he's um, got himself into financial trouble. He, he's obviously elderly. So maybe money is a concern for him. Maybe shelter is a concern for him. So we submitted these various EOIs in, we made up these new companies, used, used separate names, and we submitted these EOIs to try and outsmart the agent. <laughs> so multiple different EOIs to just submit different prices and see what yeah. they accepted. <laughs> Probably bidding against ourselves in hindsight. <laughs> So we offered various amounts oh, for the goodness. property, large deposits, smaller deposits, uh, larger offer price, smaller deposit price, lower offer price, bigger deposit. And we even offered um, three or you know six months rent back for yeah. the owner. We even offered free rent to the owner to secure the property with a long settlement. So we thought we cooked up these various deals. Um, long story short, we ended up were, we were selected as the the buyers of the property so myself and my brother got involved in this in this jv jv together yeah and uh you know what offer did they take the highest offer <laughs> you know so no brainer really um but we didn't know at this stage that the um owner was going off for a stint in the big house that is um at the government's pleasure so he wasn't going to be needing that accommodation. No. So the weird deal. Um, fast forward a little bit. Um, we got caught up in GFC. So yeah. I'd bought those two house and land packages. And then we bought this deal, which I probably presented to our mortgage broker at the time that we just secured this deal. I think it was November, December. And we've gone cash unconditional without talking to a broker. <laughs> oh, uh, so I rang Lisa and I said, just secured this deal. She said, um, Radio, tell me more. And I said, oh, I've gone cash unconditional. That's the broker's said, favourite call. Yeah. <laughs> favourite call to get. I'm unconditional. You know what make yeah. it work. Yeah. 
are you guys insane? It's three weeks before Christmas. You know what banks do over Christmas? I said, <laughs> no, what do they do over Christmas? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, she pulled the deal together and got it done. Um, yeah. yeah, it was a low, well, I mean, probably one of the last, one of the uh, dying days of, of low dock, I think, low dock loans. So it was a low dock loan. Yeah. Awesome. And would you consider that one of your best deals now? That was the best deal. Um, yeah. We were going to launch into doing some sort of development there, but we got caught up yeah. in the GFC and we couldn't couldn't afford to develop it. Um, yeah. Could only just afford, could only basically scrape through afford holding it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'd with my network experience, talking to all these people, I sort of looked at it. It wasn't pretty. The property wasn't pretty. The property wasn't going to suit a family. Yeah. But with um, multiple living areas and multiple bathrooms and multiple bedrooms, it was going to be a perfect multi-let. Yeah. So I became a property manager. I became a property manager of a multi-let rental on a room-by-room -room basis. And our clientele... Were mainly 90% blue collar, um, blue collar men, yeah. um, working or not working. Um, sometimes we had um, housing trusts or, or housing schemes call us and um, you know looked for us to house one of their clients. So bond paid by housing department. Um, that was an experience. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard so many stories why they couldn't pay their rent. There is like dog ate my homework or um, oh, my pay hasn't come through. Um, yeah. Anyway, it was an experience. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of, you know, over the past 10 or so years, um, what's been your journey in, in property since then? You know, you've, you've, got a pretty good portfolio under your belt and you've also got a very very good attitude and obviously um, some of your early days in all of the probably multi-level marketing and coaching programs and you know hanging out with positive real estate as well um, what do you attribute towards that you know with initially the the property deals and things like that and into you know the attitude that you have towards um, investing today and and you, the journey that you've been on I was one of those guys who I subscribe to the theory, just um, bite off more than you can chew and chew like hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I didn't start investing till 42. So I landed in Adelaide at age 42, bought my own home, bought, you know, bought the first home before I was 18 and a half, 19. So yeah. into my first home before I was 21. Um, that was probably the accidental investing bit because we renovated that. I renovated that home and sold it and sold it for, you know, after 20 odd years for three times more than they paid for it. So yeah, that was the penny drop thinking, oh, there's something in this property thing. Yeah. You know, I bought it for X and sold it the X amount of years for three times more than they paid for it. So spark the interest. Yeah, I thought, okay. Yeah. Spark the interest. So um, and that that Woodville South deal, um, you know, seven years into owning it after, you know, doing the multi-let rental thing. And um, the catalyst was that one of the tenants burnt it down. Um, so we had a kitchen fire in the kitchen. Um, 
head started cooking some dim sims at 3.30 in the morning. Lying <laughs> oh, no. drunk and he passed out and the fat caught fire. And when he woke up, the um, saucepan and the stove were on fire. So he brought the garden hose into a fat fire and actually tried to put it out, which um, splashed it all over the kitchen cupboards. They went up. There was an old straw met ceiling. So a straw ceiling, that caught fire. Oh, my goodness. Um, one of the other tenants who was asleep in the rear, one of the rear bedrooms, heard a smoke alarm going off, got up to find out what all the drama was about and found this guy passed out on the floor of the kitchen with the kitchen on fire. So this, this, the tenant who ran uh, raised the alarm dragged this guy out. This guy then came around and started complaining about being dragged out. Uh, I think it was a bit of a, I think it was a bit of a punch up. Um, and anyway, long story short, the fire brigade were called. And yeah, um, my first my first question was to the fire is is it is anybody hurt? Mm. Has anybody has anybody been hurt? You know, not wanting yeah. to think that something might have died in the house. Everybody got out, so that was the main thing. Um, but the kitchen was gutted. Uh, it was an old yeah. crappy house anyway. So we basically gave the tenants notice. We're not fixing it. Um, fun, final alternative accommodation. We're not fixing it. We're not spending yeah, money fixing it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, enter an insurance claim and a lot of argy-bargy and wheeling and dealing by my brother who assured me he knew the, how the insurance industry worked. Yeah. Um, so long story short, we got a cash settlement. Um, so we took the cash settlement, which was the catalyst for the demolition and subdivision. So, yeah. and, and we built the properties. Yeah. Yeah. So we built the four two-story, nicely spec, um, two-story townhouses across our block. So I still hold one. Yeah. And my brother still holds two. Um, we sold one, and yes, yeah, so that's. That was uh, one of my best ever deals. So, yeah. um, and what's what's four. been your your biggest lesson along the way? Then, obviously, you've had some crazy challenges and amazing stories that I'm hearing today. So, what's been your, your biggest lesson along the way? Um, be prepared to get out of your comfort zone. That that building project, the builder was unlucky enough to actually lose his daughter to a car accident partway through that. So um, I stepped up and I said, look, you know, I'm happy to basically help run this. So it was, you know, on site, there was a lot of moving parts of the four townhouses being built. Yeah. So I would meet the, I'd meet the site supervisor there regularly a couple of times a week and we'd walk through what needed to happen and, you know, what challenges were happening. And in building, there's something always going to go wrong. So there was something always going sideways and you just had to collaborate with who was on the job. Um, the site supervisor was was a great guy. Yeah, um, you know, he used the best of his, um, you know, he, he wanted to make sure everything was right. The builder was fabulous. The builder wanted to make sure everything was right. So, you know, we had a couple of things go, go sideways. I mean, various trades came through and did things slightly wrong yeah um building inspector picked up on it and we went back and had to have those things rectified um 
tilers came through and tiled upstairs bathrooms and shower cavities without puddle flanges, which would have led to a failure of the waterproofing. So they were yep. dragged back and told they needed to retile the floor and install the correct puddle flange and, and the waterproofing membrane. So just picking those things up and, you know, um, I don't want to offend anybody who's a tiler, but apparently tilers are prima donnas. If you're a good tiler, you sort of, you pride yourself that you're a good tiler. Yep. You don't like being told what to do. You don't like your work being critiqued and you don't like being dragged back to make good on something. So, so they, they carried on a bit, but the builder said, well, you're told to install them. So go back and install them. So yeah, I just collaborate. I mean, be open to joint venturing. Um, they don't always work. <laughs> I, Pick I yourself up and keep going. <laughs> yeah. I won't have a joint venture with my brother again, but that's another story. Yeah. Um, just comes down to headset. Not everybody's got the same headset. And when a challenge or curveball comes your way, it's like no point in firing off an email to somebody at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, no, no point in dragging the, we had a project manager behind it as well. So no point, you know, um, no point busting anybody's chops. You just got to, you know, get in and, and, and problem solve. Yeah, make it happen. Troubleshoot, problem solve. Yeah. Um, time is money. If you hold up a project, if you hold up the development and, you know, you can't, you can't have delays. I mean, I've struck a few delays in my investing career. Yeah. Um, one of those delays was with those house and land packages in Whaler where the builder found themselves in financial trouble. And there were so many excuses and so many stories come out of that, that no, she wasn't in financial trouble. Her accountant was ill and was unable to do the books or pay the bills. That was a bit of a furphy. Um, Anyway, long story short, that house sat there at 95% completion for about nine months with me oh. paying mortgage for nine months yeah. straight without having an opportunity to put a tenant in place. Um, yeah, so that was an interesting experience. And that was with that failed investment company. So I actually yeah. met with them. They sat me down. The one that eyeballed me, the four of them across the table from me, to coerce me into paying the final project management claim yeah. and to stop making noise about the delays and um, um, troubles and issues we're having with the builder. They, they were worried about the fallout um, yeah. with the other investors, had the other investors heard that the builder was in trouble. Anyway, I did tell them they were supposed to be working for me. I was paying them a project management fee and they were, weren't managing the project. Yeah, They should manage the builder and manage the, the whole deal. In fact, they forgot to come up to a handover meeting. So I'd driven to Wala from Adelaide to a handover meeting, got there and there's nobody there from the company to meet me. And I rang them and said, well, where are you? Oh, didn't you get that email? I said, what email? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not able to make it. So I'd driven all that way for a handover meeting, which didn't happen. Anyway. Mm. So your lesson would be be persistent, pick your socks up, keep moving. There's challenges, roadblocks, push through them. Yeah. And surround yourself with a good team. Part of yeah. that networking thing, 
what came out of that was everybody had a team. So whether from an accountant, a property savvy accountant, yeah. an investment savvy mortgage broker, um, a very good property law expert, so a property lawyer. So yeah. if, um, if something went sideways, the worst thing I think you can do is pretend you're the smartest person in the room. Now, somebody famous said that. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in trouble. So you, yeah. you should always surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, um, more experienced than you are, they're an expert. So you pay the expert to problem solve the problems you can't solve. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very good point. Hey, having a coach, mentor, six, I think we call it a six-star team now, with, you know, the broker, property lawyer, accountant, all of that, everybody else has, you know, had their own experiences as well. So it's good to interact with people who have also done it, also, you know, had the experience and can pass on that knowledge to you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty. And what, uh, this is always the classic, um, you know, everyone loves this question. If you could give your younger self some advice, knowing what you know today, what would it be? Wow. Um, starting investing at 42. Now, if I'd, if I'd come into investing a whole lot earlier, I would have got started a whole lot earlier. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and look, I don't want to give the wrong advice. I'm not, I'm not licensed basic to give any sort of advice or yeah. financial advice, but just do as much as you can. Go as hard as possible. I mean, obviously, you know, refer to your broker and your coach, but um, I think sometimes we need to get rid of some negative mindset. So you might have to actually get some coaching around your upbringing. You know, if this money doesn't grow on trees or I can't afford this and I can't afford that, what do you think I am? Made of money all that stuff you take in really does actually hold you back. It actually creates a block or a fear of yeah. using debt wisely because, you know, not all debt's bad. Um, so you can get in, you can go into debt, you can leverage debt, you can use debt, make it work for you. So I think sometimes people hold themselves back just through the mindset and the stinking thinking they may have picked up from, yeah, their upbringing, their family, their friends. Um, it's very you know, true. Investing is risky. You know, why do you want to do that? Yeah. Um, Much like the media, isn't it? They, um, everyone has oh, exactly. their opinions. Yep. Yeah. We, we didn't have social media back then, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've got that now. So they're, yeah, they're another source of really bad advice and bad influence. Yeah, absolutely. Steer clear of all of that for sure. And Talk yeah. to the right people. Yeah. And yeah, so, what would you sorry. say to someone? What would you say to someone watching this video that's, you know, maybe nervous about taking the next step, um, not sure what to do next or how to do it? What what advice would you give them? Well, use access coaches, coaches and mentors. I mean, if you're part of you're part of PRE, we've got those coaches and mentors there. So um yeah, um, and look, you know, the, the Facebook group, um, you know, I see people celebrating their successes. I mean, I can't remember who it was now. I um, put up a post that they have achieved $10 million in property. Donna, yeah. Yeah, Donna, yeah, yeah, cool. Well done. I mean, that's, that's bloody amazing. Um, you know, some people have done more, some people have done less. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as long as you're doing what you can, um, don't leave it too late. Um 
yeah, I think, yeah, get stuck in, um, get coaching, get mentoring, build that team. If you haven't got a team or, you know, the guys at Pierre have a team around, you may already have a team um, and um, the PRE coach can supplement that team. So you may already have a team from prior to tapping into PRE. So it's, you know, if you're not an expert, employ experts. Yeah, very, very good point. We'll wrap it up there today. So I will thank you so much for sharing your stories with me. Um, you know, some of them just mind blowing what obviously the the roadblocks that you've overcome uh, to continue pushing on. And I think that your attitude after speaking to you, you know, numerous times now is amazing. And I, I, I really, really um, look up to that. I find it really inspirational that you have overcome these multiple things that really could have pushed a lot of people back and, you know, made people not want to invest or move forward any further. And you just keep picking up your socks and keep moving forward. So well done and really, really good. Thanks, Hayley. Pleasure. I think a lot of people will take a lot away from this uh, podcast. Yeah. I think, you know, what people think sometimes is there's a lack of opportunity. Um, You know, I've only got X amount of money. You know, uh, I haven't got enough to invest. There is so much opportunity out there. You just need to be able to be educated enough to evaluate it. And keep in the back of your mind, if it looks to be good, be true, it probably is. Don't get involved <laughs> yeah. in a Ponzi scheme. Um, yeah. You know, um, some will say, well, we, we won't die wondering, will we? We had a go. We had a crack. That's it. Um, Don't sit on the fence. Yeah. Fortunately for me, more things worked than what didn't work. Yeah. Um, you win some, you lose some. You lose a bit of money here and there. And you make some money here and there. Yeah. If you can make more money than you lose, you're on the right track. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome attitude to have. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And um, Cheers, Hayley. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Awesome. Awesome. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Property Investor Tales. Remember to subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode drops. As you can guess, we love hearing people's property investor tales. So if you'd like to share yours, then please get in touch with us via email at positiveinvestortales at positivementor.com.au. We also love your feedback and would appreciate a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember, you can watch all of these podcasts over on YouTube at Positive Mentor or at positivementor.com.au. Until then, take care and bye for now.